to Claim the Stage. I'm Angela Lucier. I'm your host. I'm also an author, speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. And today's show is all about being able to show up as yourself in a world that may not understand you and may tell you you have to change. Has this ever happened to you? I think we've all experienced this in some way, but from my guest today, she's experienced it because she is an Indian American woman living in America who's also an actress, an author, a producer, and an activist. And in doing her work, her being a woman of color has come up a lot, and she's had to navigate that and also determined for herself what kinds of projects she will sign on for and which ones she will leave behind based on her integrity and values. And so if you question whether or not you should be on a stage because of the color of your skin or your sexual orientation or your age or your size or whatever you feel could be a barrier to being heard or being accepted, you're going to love today's episode because our guest talks all about that. And she talks a lot about how she got over her own fears of being seen, how she has dealt with rejection and how she's found her voice as an author and an activist. And so she has a lot of great wisdom to share. She's a brilliant woman who I really, I really enjoyed um, her resilience and I, I enjoyed her perspective on what it takes to build something that you care about. So before we jump into the interview, I'll just tell you a little bit more about her. Sheetal Sheth is an actress, author, producer, and activist, and her latest children's book, Bravo Anjali, will be published September 21st. It's the follow-up to Always Anjali, which debuted to critical acclaim and became a favorite for schools and parents. Sheetal's breakout role came in Albert, Albert Brooks's movie, Looking for Comedy in the Muslim World, and she's known for her performances in a wide range of memorable roles in film and on television. She's also a cancer survivor and outspoken advocate who served in President Clinton's AmeriCorps and is currently on the advisory board of Equality Now and an ambassador for Jennifer Newsom's The Representation Project. Yeah, so lots going on, lots to share, and I hope you enjoy today's conversation. So without further ado, I give you Sheetal Shat. Sheetal, welcome to Claim the Stage. Hi, thank you for having me. So my name is actually pronounced Sheetal. Sheetal, okay, thank yes. you. Yeah. I'm very excited to chat with you today because, as I mentioned, we have so many listeners who are eager to tell their story, to get on a stage, to write a book, and get their experiences and their vision out there, but fear whatever might come from that, whether it's rejection or criticism. And I am excited to learn more about your journey into becoming an author and um, being sort of an advocate for Indian American women and other women who want to tell their story. And I thought we could just start with where I I guess I, I, I feel like your journey began, which was with an interest in acting um, early in in your, you know, in your teenage years, you had an interest in acting. Where does that interest come from? 
You know, it was a surprise to me as well. I was very much um, an academic focused kid. So um, I played sports, but and I liked performing, but mostly kind of in the dance space. Um, so acting wasn't something that I, you know, it was it was really new to me. And I kind of did it. I had auditioned for my high school play as a whim um, and didn't expect, you know, anything. And then when I got a very large part, um, and I kind of was like, oh my God, I don't know how to do this. And it was one of the first things I didn't feel comfortable doing. You know, I was a good student. I was good at school. That was not something that, um, I struggled with as much, but acting was a challenge in a way, um, and accessed my emotional side, which I don't think I really paid much attention to, um, in my family, especially, and it is a common thread, you know, with kind of first generation kids of immigrants, um, especially when it comes to South Asian kids, um, there is the cliche of, you know, our parents came here, they wanted more for us. So like education in school was the most important thing and SEL social emotional learning was just not. And so acting is all about that. It's all about accessing who you are, pulling from yourself, the emotional side. And it was something that I had never really spent that much focus on. And in the process of learning how to kind of be in the play and opening that side of myself up, um, I realized I wanted more and more and more and more and more and more. And I, and I felt like I had a lot to tap from and take from. Um, And so, and I, and I realized very quickly that this was something that I wanted to, to do actually. And it was a shock to everybody, including myself. (laughs) Um, when you were deciding on different roles to take and which ones to leave behind, did you have a certain um, list of what a role needed to satisfy in order to say yes to something? Yeah, I mean, it was very much about it was it wasn't like some uh, list that I had, but it was very much, do I feel like I want to tell this person's story? Do I feel like I have some thing to add and something to bring to the story that only I can? Um, and that was really like the heart of it. That's what it was. Um, you know, when I was starting out, I mean, things have changed, but not a huge amount, but when I was starting out, um, you know, there was, there were no conversations that we're having now about representation and inclusion and authenticity. Authenticity was like the last thing, um, people cared about this was back in the nineties, you know? And so the amount of inaccuracies and insensitivities and pure offensive stuff that was out there was a lot. Um, and so I, for myself made a lot of choices to not take certain parts because I found for me, my barometer was like, if the comedy is, if it's, if it's a comedy, if the comedy is coming from the ethnicity, I'm not interested in that, but if it's coming from the character themselves, it's a different story. And there were so many tropes there still are, but back then there was even more tropes and stereotypes and things that I just didn't want to be a part of or didn't feel good to me. And the argument on the other side was, well, someone's going to take the part. Wouldn't it rather be you? And I said, yes, yeah, someone will. But at this point, you know, you just kind of have to do what you can and be able to sleep for yourself at night. Um, so I didn't work all the time. I didn't work as much as I probably, some people would say should have or wanted to, which was a, a big source of um, just consternation with my representation, with people in my life. Um, which is also why I chose to do other jobs so that I wouldn't have to take jobs for money. 
Mm-hmm. I remember hearing an interview with Cal Penn and, you know, he's an Indian American actor and he was saying that for the first few years of his career, he was being offered the role of convenience store clerk or taxi cab driver. And it was so frustrating for him because he really wanted to be on the screen, but he didn't want to take those stereotypical roles. So as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking, yeah, they just, you sort of get put into this box of like, here's what you can do. And so you have to be so thoughtful and um, really thinking about like, how do I want to represent myself and who, how do I want to show up and what kind of career do I want to have, which it seems like you have to put so much more time into those decisions. It's right? not, well, yeah. And, and that's the thing, like, these are things that other people don't have to think about, you know, but when you're a person of color, you're, you're burdened with the weight of all of that, you know, yeah. when you ask, whether you ask for it or not. And I, you know, I know Cal, we started out together. Um, we used to share lots of stories about these kinds of things. And for me, it's not that I wouldn't play a certain role because of what they were or, you know, whether it be a taxi driver or a mother or um, someone who owned a hotel. It wasn't that that wasn't what bothered me. It's, is it written in a way that was three dimensional, that was fully formed, that told the full story? Because these are people that exist that I love that are in my life. But is the writing there? You know, and often it wasn't. It was very kind of surface and a trope you know, to kind of serve a purpose. And so, you know, I think there's, we've come along, there are stories now that I'm like, like, like you see something like Minari, which is so beautifully done and tells the breadth of an immigrant story. But these, that, that's what I mean. Like there is a way to write Americans in that, in that space that has um, the full breadth of, of who they are and, and equal weight in terms of the writing that you put into it. Well, it sounds like this may have informed your books, you know, as I was reading more about what, what your books are about, it's, it sounds like you're really trying to get away from yeah, the tropes and like, this is what an Indian American, <laughs> <laughs> but instead it's like, oh, we're real people. And here's what we do yes. on the day to day. Why don't yes. you tell me more about, yeah, the inspiration for the book and what the books are about? Well, yeah, I mean, you, that, that's it, you know, so I, um, so just to back up a little bit, it's not a lot of times people ask me like children's books, why children's books? And I should just put it into context is that, you know, working with children is not new to me. I've done it my whole life. And it's something that I'm extremely um, connected to since I was a child at every point in my life, I was doing something, whether it be in the community, whether it be mentoring, whether it be a peer helper in middle school, whatever it is, I was on the school board. Like I was the student rep on the school board. I was always interested in children. And if I wasn't an actress, I thought I was going to be a teacher for sure. Um, I was an AmeriCorps. I was a big brother, big sister. I still, so just to give context to the fact that this is not something out of the blue, um, I feel very connected to children. And two things. One is I felt like, so I was pregnant with my first child and I was starting to read more of the children's literature out there. And what I thought was missing was, as I said, uh, representation that I felt was accurate and didn't other us. And what I mean by that is when I would see books, it was always centered around a holiday or some idea of what I think white people think we do, which is either we get arranged marriages, we're poor, um, we just celebrate Diwali or Holy all the time. You know, like there's it's always connected to something that was extraordinary or kind of bigger and not the everyday. And it didn't feel like, like I was like, we eat dinner with our parents and play instruments and walk our dogs and do all the things all the other kids do, but we weren't allowed space to do that. And I don't think that there's, 
ever you can ever say that there's equity until there's a net, as many stories about the mundane as there are about the extraordinary. And so that was the impetus when I first started thinking, okay, maybe maybe there's something here for me. And and then when I started thinking about what I wanted to write, of course I knew I wanted to be an American girl who was of Indian background, but I also know from my own experience that kids really want to talk about real things and with especially now with what's going on in the world they are savvy they are smart they hear what's going on and they want in on the conversations and they don't want to be talked down to and so i was always all of my books have a topic that often and a lot of editors told me no 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 like this is this is not what we want to write we just want to write stories about like unicorns and cats you know <laughs> and i'm like but we're all dealing with these things. And if so there's, if there's an accessible entertaining way to bring someone into a conversation that could also have a layer about stuff that they're dealing with, why not? You know? And so that's really what all of my, my books have. There's, there's another layer of something else there because um, I know firsthand that the kids want to have these conversations. I mean, they're dying to have these conversations. What was the response to your first book? Well, I, um, thankfully it did very, very, very well. We're in, I don't even know, like fourth or fifth printing at this point. Um, and it's, it's been very interesting. It's, it's broad, the amount of people, you know, people, again, there's, there's people that would think, oh, it's only for Indian kids. But the funny thing is a lot of people will say, oh, it's not Indian enough. And I always say, what, what would make it Indian? Well, she's not wearing like Indian clothes. She's not Indian food. She's not like, you know, and I'm just like, if that's what you think, how about like the fact that she's just Indian? Like yeah. that's, that's enough. I, I would think, right. I mean, I had editors ask me how Brown I, I pictured her to be in the illustrations. They didn't want it to be too Brown, you know? And so there were, and I didn't work with those people, of course. Yeah. Um, but these are the things that come up, you know? Um, but what's been nice is, the majority of people and kids, like at the end of the day, the first book, Always Anjali, is about a girl that wanted to change something about herself to fit in. In her case, it was her name. And Jason Reynolds, who's an amazing writer, says this the best. He always says, which I, which I fully resonate with, he says, I write for all children, but I write to Black children. And so I feel very connected to that in the sense of like, all of my stories are very broad and universal, but for the, for the South Asian kids, they're going to get another layer with my books that is meant specifically for them. And there are Easter eggs in all of my books that only a certain kid's going to get. And I kind of love that. Mm -hmm. But the idea, like, you know, the amount of school visits I've done, the amount of, of um, educators that have used Always Anjali as the center of lessons, especially like going back to school. It's a very popular book to read because it's all about the beauty of our names and celebrating who we are and where we come from. So it's a great way to introduce a school year. Um, and so I've heard across the board from, from so many students and kids of all ethnicities and ages up to, up to fifth grade of people using the book. And it's, it's really been wonderful. Is there a part of you in Anjali that? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, you know, the whole story is about how, you know, she wants to change her name. Um, when I, I mean, of course, growing up with my name, it's something that any, any kid that has a name that is not quote familiar to where you, you are, we dread the, like when they're reading the attendance, there's always a pause before your name. I always remember that the teacher would make, and I was like, oh, I know they're about to like not say my name right, which is fine if they make the effort to then say it right. 
but too often teachers don't. And that is, is something that I also talk about in terms of the importance of really learning our, our children's names and, and making them feel valued in that way. But yeah, when I, when I started acting, I was told to change my name. And in fact, I lost count in terms of how many times I was told to change it. I lost jobs because I didn't change my name. Um, there were two particular jobs that I was told flat out by the casting director the producer really wants you for this part. They're just not comfortable with someone of your name. Could you change at least one of them? And wow. I didn't, and I lost the job. Wow. Yeah. What, what made you have that conviction to? You know, I, I, I do wonder sometimes because I'm like, <laughs> I wonder, do I make things harder for myself? Like why, why, why? Cause I have, you know, a number of friends and colleagues um, that have changed their names and, you know, every to each their own. I have no judgment about it. But the thing that makes me sad is I think I just didn't like for me, when I meet someone, I love learning a little bit about something because of maybe their name or their clue or something that, you know, you feel like lets you in on who they are in their story. And our names are given to us for a reason. And we're as much given the name as we are born. In, I mean, we're as much born into it as we do, you know, kind of become it. And so it's up to us to decide what our story is, but to, to erase a part of us that's connected to where we come from just didn't feel right to me. And often when I see people changing their names, they're taking out the ethnicity in it. And that just always makes me sad. Yeah. I remember seeing a study about that with um, ethnic sounding names on, on resumes for jobs and people yeah. not getting interviews because the name seemed too ethnic. Yeah. And I mean, so- Winona Ryder, it's an example, you know, I forget her name, but it was a, it was a long name, you know, and I think she's Jewish. So it was one that, you know, and, and people joke, like, what she have gotten in the movies she had if she wasn't named Winona Ryder, you know, and it goes across all cultures, I think. Um, and who knows? I mean, I would like to believe that we live in a world where hopefully that doesn't matter so much anymore. And that we can just, I think that's the beauty of who we all are. Absolutely. I think there's such a, um, just a, a human desire for belonging too. And, yeah. and so when you have a name that sort of fits in, it's like, you don't have, that's not even on your mind. You don't even consider, but then when you don't have a name, that sounds like everyone around you, it's like, well, I want to be part of the group too. So what else can I do to fit into this? You know, that right. will make me part of the, the gang. And that's um, really the conversation that I have with the kids about in always Anjali is just knowing that you don't have to change anything about who you are to fit in, you know, and it's all about just kind of celebrating, whether it be your name, where you come from, your clothes, your sexuality, your skin, all of those things, you know, your hair color, like that shouldn't de- decide whether or not these people are your friends or not. Do you have any stories of any kids who've read your book and how it's influenced them? Oh my God. I, I have countless um, <laughs> from, from, from one-on-one to then messages I get. I have, I have boxes of letters that I've gotten. Um, I have one of my favorites is meeting um, a boy who came with the book. I was at an event. He had had it. He wanted me to sign it. And he was like, I'm so sorry. It's, it's ripped and torn only because I read it so much. And I said, Oh my God, I'm, I love that. It's so worn, you know, like that's the biggest compliment I could ever have, that it's worn. he's like, I keep it under my pillow every night. I read it. And it turns out his mom told me that he was being teased at school Um, And his teacher was not saying his name right. And this book finally made her realize that was happening and allowed for a conversation, you know, in the comfort of her own lap while she was reading to him that maybe would never have happened, you know, and that's the point is to maybe like bring up conversations around these topics with our kids. Yeah. One of the reasonings I hear from 
speakers or people who want to write a book about their life story, the reason that they don't is because they think, why me? Why should I write that story? And I wonder, did that happen to you? Did you ever ask yourself that question? And if so, what did you do to get through it? Yeah. Well, it's interesting what you said earlier about like fear of rejection and criticism. I mean, people have to get over that because that's just part of life. And so I honestly think like, if that's what's holding you back, then maybe this isn't the place for you because rejection and criticism is all about it. Like seriously, we all, that, that can't be, and it can't be personal. Like it can't, you cannot take these things personally because hopefully it comes from a place of like, maybe the way you're sharing the story, there's ways of making that just more impactful, you know? But when it comes to why me, I always say, why not me? You know, it's one of those things where like, I can't tell you how, and, and I, and I did think that for a very long time, Angela, and then I would like pick up books and I would read what was out there and I would watch TV and I'd be like, are you kidding me? This is what's out there. Like if they're doing it, I can for sure do it. And, and then, you know, for me, it, like once I started doing it and I would meet the people who were like so successful doing it, I was like, okay, like I belong at this table. Like this is not out of my reach or out of my purview. And I, you know, something even Obama said, which in his book was so, which really resonated with me is he was saying like, you think I'm the president and I'm, and I'm, I'm meeting like obviously world leaders around the world. They're not that, like, they're not what you think they are. Like it's a mat, like, and then I think we've seen that, right? Like maybe, maybe our <laughs> best aren't represented us and they're not the smartest people in the room or by far maybe the most qualified but they're the people who love the job. So absolutely do what you want to do. You have, and only you have your own story. Like the point is like the specificity and originality of what comes with you and your specific experience, nobody else has. And so I always tell kids when they say, you know, like, this is the thing that I'm embarrassed about, or this is the thing I'm like self-conscious about. And I always say, I promise you when you get older, that will be the thing that separates you. And please celebrate it. Like that will end up being what I think becomes something that people want to know about you because you're the only one who can do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So sort of demystifying uh, your competition or demystifying the process too. Cause like I hear a lot of people say too, like, I want to write a book, but I just don't even know where to start. I don't even understand the process. And it's like, well, what's the first step you could take, you know, maybe finding someone who works in the literary world who could answer some of those questions. I mean, I say, start writing. I think if you want to be a writer, you've got to write every day. Mm-hmm. And just like, if you want to be a gymnast, you've got to practice every day. Just like, if you want to, you know, these are things that need to be a part of your life and whether it be good, bad, like you can't worry about that. Like half the stuff I write is crap. And you know, <laughs> like the first draft of anything is the worst part of me, but it's also the hardest thing that I do. Cause I'm like, I just have to get the idea out and I know it's going to be terrible. And I know it'll take like 50 to hundred revisions to get it to where I want it to be, but you've got to get it out. You've got to write. And I always tell kids the same thing when they're like, Oh, I'm stuck. I don't know what I'm like, even if it's five words one day and 10 sentences another day or an idea one day, like you've just got to get into the habit of doing it. Um, because it's the only way you're going to get better at it. You're at better at it and also find your voice and figure out, you know, what that is, the, the way you want to express it. Also, reading. If you, there's a certain type of thing that you want to write, you need to go read a lot of that in that world. So you see what's out there. You see what the voice is. You see the structure. There's format thing. All that stuff, I will say, is easier than ever to have access to. And with the internet and Google nowadays, you could go on and find out so much information about the publishing industry 
that wouldn't have been around, you know, obviously many, many, many years ago. I mean, that's how I didn't know anybody. I mean, I remember reaching out to my, ma- my acting manager and said, oh, I have this children's book. And she was like, great. I don't know anybody I can help you. I don't know anybody I can connect you to. And I was like, great, on my own. And I spent like a year just like researching online, emailing people, querying, like learning, I, all that stuff. You, if you want it, you, got, you have to do the work and figure it out. How has your voice changed over the years through writing and speaking? I would say I am more honest than I've ever been. Um, I'm still like figuring out the kind of boundaries of, of what I want to share and how much and where, but I will say I'm, I'm, I'm probably more honest than ever. And that's probably because of my illness. A few years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer and um, I'm doing, I should say that I'm doing well and my prognosis is good, but I had a few years where it was really uh, rough and, you know, not to sound cliche, but the things really do become clear, you know, and things become um, just the BS really goes away um, in a way that you really, I think only when you're going through something, you can, you can kind of feel that, you know? Um, And so I think I'm more honest. I think I'm more confident. I think I'm, um, I feel clearer on what I have to add, you know, and what I have to to bring to the conversation. I, I, I would never have been able to say this 10 years ago, but now I fully believe that the conversations that I have and what I can add to it are something that only I can add to it. And I feel very proud of being able to say that. Mm-hmm. And are you able to say that because of a combination of doing the work and kind of um, learning more about yourself and what you're capable of, and then also going through the illness? And it was it's just sort of like a combination of all these yeah. experiences. Okay, so it's a combination, and also like I love talking to people. I love listening to people. I'm constantly absorbing, learning. You know, like like you, you get to talk to some people. Like I, I think that's such a great outlet to really. Um, be your best self is by kind of learning from others. And, you know, there's nobody I won't take advice from. Mm -hmm. And I love talking to people across all ages and backgrounds. And and so it's like a constant um, journey of getting better, smarter, you know, the best version of yourself. What advice would you give to someone who really has a story to tell, but continually finds reasons to procrastinate or reasons to, you know, wait another day because they don't have the perfect story or they, they're just not sure exactly how they want to tell it. Well, there's this great quote that I love that says a year ago, you will have wished you started today. And it's really that like, are you going to prioritize it or not? And and really it's about getting out of your own way in order to do that. Now, nothing's going to be perfect. And I think that idea of like it needing to be perfect in order to do it, you just need to, to let that go because everything is a work in progress until it isn't. You know, I think even Leonardo da Vinci said, art is never completed, it's just abandoned. So you work on it and you work on it and you work on it until you get it to a point where you feel like, okay, I've, I have done everything I can do with this. And then- you'll have someone you work with that'll give you more notes <laughs> and then you'll make it even and, and it is it is amazing though when you find the right collaborators I, I just had you know notes given to me about something that I thought was so clever and so fun and I was like this is the best thing I've ever written and then I get that and even my agent was like this is my favorite thing you've ever had like it couldn't have been better and then I get the notes and I'm like that is so smart right <laughs> that's better okay 
now I've got to figure out how to do that. And, and then it'll make it better, you know? And so it's just about, you know, doing the work and really just getting started. Because if you sit here and say, what if, what if, what if, like you can say that for the rest of your life, but at the yeah. end of the day, it's really up to you. I mean, I think what's hard about these kinds of jobs, any artistic thing, writing, acting, photography, music, dance, whatever, it's very self-motivated. So if you don't have that in you, then you're in the wrong place and the mm -hmm. wrong job. I know we talked about criticism and rejection earlier, and I'm wondering if there's um, a tool that you have or a go-to kind of mindset if you audition for something and you're not called back. What do you think of that? <laughs> how do, how do you I mean, that happens that? a lot. Um, I mean, and it never ends. I mean, that's the thing. Like it, it just, I think there, and I think it's really, like you said, demystifying the people around you that are quote, like really successful. I have friends that are like quote, A-list actors and they're going through the exact same thing, just on a different level. And yeah, they have more money and they look nice and they like, you know, have all access to all kinds of things, but the rejection and the criticism is there. Um, and they're dealing with that just the way we are, but it's in a different kind of bubble. Um, and so for me, I always say you figure out whose opinions you trust and you stick with those because if you're going to pay attention to the worst of the reviews, then you have to pay attention to the best of the reviews and both, like you can't have one without the other. So if you're like, Oh, I got this great review and you love it. It's great. But you also then have to pay attention to the ones that maybe aren't so great. So maybe just, I always say like, make a blanket thing, like you read them or not. If you read them, just put them where, where they, you know, like with a grain of salt. And then think about like, who do you value? Like, are there specific people in your life that you feel like you value their um, opinion? And those are the ones that I think matter. Those are the kind of, and then I think having um, like an artistic community, whether it be one or two or three people around you that you can share stuff with, that you can bounce ideas off of, all of those things are really important in terms of just having a community and also like the self-care part of it is, is something that I don't think we talk about enough. Do you work with any mentors or recommend that as part of the process? Yeah, I wish I did. I never had, you know, because there was just no one around when I started in all of this. But I will say in the last, I would say just in the last few years, um, there are two women that I try to like not over email them. You know, I try to like pick and choose when I do, but they've been lovely to me and it's only come through after like things I've done and success and, and we've connected and, you know, they, they will read things and give me feedback on stuff, which has been lovely, but that has just happened. Mm -hmm. um, I remember I was reading um, just yesterday, an article that came out, it was an interview with you on her agenda and mm -hmm. you had put a said that the whole point is to communicate that we don't need to change any part of ourselves. And I know when we talked about your books earlier, that was sort of what you're trying to get across. And I'm wondering now, now that you have these two books out there and you've been telling this story, is there a new mission you're on to create um, a new message that you want to share? Or is it about continuing to reinforce that message as you go forward as an author and a an activist and an, an actor and all those things. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. I So the second book is called Bravo Anjali. And I wrote it um, during the height of the Me Too movement. And as I mentioned earlier, this idea of, you know, kids wanting in about conversations, everything that was going on and, you know, seeing kind of the Brett Kavanaugh debacle and all those things just really 
made me feel like, again, we've got to get to kids younger. We've got to have these conversations. And is there a way to put this into kids speak? Is there a way to kind of talk about all this, you know, in a, in a, in the kids way. And at the time I was working on the second Anjali book and I knew I was wanting to deal with something with her in this idea of the idea of especially girls feeling like they couldn't be the be- their best selves. You know, it was during the Hillary Clinton Trump kind of political scene. And, and I'm, and I'm a big fan of Hillary. Um, and so I was just seeing the way she was being covered and treated. And I was listening to her. I saw her documentary. I saw how like she, you know, was the most, qual- I, it, it's so bizarre, even in high school, like she was running for president and the boy who had no qualifications won just because, you know, he was a guy and like wanted to have like a pizza party. Well, I don't know, something silly, you know, and then he asked her to like help him actually do the job. And I was like, there's got to be something here. And so Bravo Anjali is all about how Anjali deals with being the only girl in the room. She plays the tabla, which is a predominantly male played instrument. And so she's the only girl in her class. She's the best. And the boys don't like it. And she starts messing up on purpose because she wants to be friends with them. And she wants to like be part of the group and like be invited to all the things. And she's not her best. And then as the book goes on, there's a contest and she has to decide if she's going to own her excellence or let people make her feel bad for being good at something. And so, of course, she learns to never dim her light. And, you know, I really wanted to have a conversation between her really good friend who was a boy and her at the end to give language to our kids about what that feels like. These big feelings like this boy wasn't used to not being the best maybe didn't work as hard as he was supposed to and was mad at her for something he shouldn't like for something that was in his own life, you know, and and I wanted him to take responsibility for, again, this is all in kids speak. And so, you know, it's all about um, talking about that with our kids, with our boys and girls, because I think we all sometimes are either told, oh, we're a little too much, or maybe you can like, you know, you don't need to shine so bright, let someone else do that, you know, and so there's a lot of things I think we do to our kids that make them feel like they can't be their best selves. And so this, that's the, that's the message of the second book in terms of never dimming your light. And then the third book in the Anjali series, which will be out next year is a completely different, I've already written it, but it's a different theme, different message. And then I have other books coming out with other publishers that are about completely different things. So for me, it's all just about, um, it's never going to be the same, but it is going to have a layer. Like the, the, the number one thing is like entertaining, fun, accessible, and then a layer of like something that I feel like would be important for us to talk about with our kids. I love that. What what made you arrive at entertaining, fun, and accessible as your starting point for your projects? Because it's for kids. You mm-hmm. know, I don't like the, I mean, I, my kids are seven and four. So I'm like right in the age group of what I'm writing. So I'm constantly like focus grouping and I'm reading, I'm reading everything. And a lot of it I find either didactic or too metaphorical, like too esoteric. I'm like, my kids, they don't like, they want to hear a story, you know, like they don't need a picture of like a random chair and what's that supposed to mean and whatever, you know, Um, it's it's not like what I prefer. I'm sure they're all beautiful for someone, but so I just, I, I find that the thing that the kids like having worked with so many kids is they want to have the fun. I mean, the best come, I had a kid the other day say to me, how did you, how do you make your books go so fast? And I was like, that's the best compliment. That means like you wanted more by the time you got to the end of it, you know, I'm like, it, it, it there's a lot of pages, but you obviously got through it really fast. So there's things like that, that you want the experience, this experiential part of it is something you have to, um, 
practice. And, you know, when you're writing kids books, especially some that are, you know, this age group and then like picture books and chapter books that are meant to be read out loud, you need to read them out loud. And so I think being an actor really helps me because that's part of my process in terms of reading them out loud, finding the rhythm, finding the right combination of words, doing them for my kids, for my friends' kids. Like everyone is part of the process multiple times. And my kids are tough. My kid the other day was like, I don't like that. I think you should change it. You know, about one of the other books that's right. It's great. It's um, really keeps you connected to your audience. Yeah. So speaking of your audience, you said you do focus groups. So does that mean you're sitting with like 10, eight-year-olds and reading the book and getting feedback from them? I, it always starts with my kids. Um, so I'm always reading to them and then, yeah, I'm, um, maybe not all at the same time, especially these days, but yeah, I'm always like, if I'm with my friends and their kids, I'm like, can I read you guys something? <laughs> and I like pull out my phone and I like, and they're always so happy. I'm like, I'm just the thing I'm working on. And I read it to them and yeah, always whenever I can. Oh, I love that. That must be really fun. And the kids are so honest. So they're, Oh, they're the best. They're, they're the best. I love it. And it's great because also like, it gives me, again, they're meant to be read out loud. So it gives me like, I can tell when something's not working and I can watch their faces and see when they're like bored or not. And so my, my goal is to keep them engaged the whole time. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to someone who is feeling like, um, you know, they want to be a speaker and they want to get out there in front of their audience and not necessarily tell a made up story, but tell the story of their life. And, and they're just like, I don't know, they're, they're feeling like, yeah, the story's already been told the story's old. It's like, I went through this struggle. It was hard. I came out on the other end. Now I feel better. <laughs> I don't know, like giving, giving value to our life experiences. Sometimes I think that's probably the most common, um, fear I hear is like, who's going to care about this. And I think it's a little bit different than the, the rejection and the criticism. It's more like being yeah. ignored, you know? Yeah. Well, like, I think, well, I, I think there is, I remember, I forget what it is, but when you break down the number of stories that are out there, I think there's five archetypes, you know, there's like, only so many stories in terms of broad themes that are out there. Um, it's how you tell them. Mm-hmm. And that person who feels like my story has been told, no, it hasn't because you didn't tell it. Yeah. So you have never told your story the way it happened to you and the way you've decided you want to share it. But turn on your television. How many cop shows do we have? How many procedurals do we have? How many shows do we have about dump trucks and superheroes and cats and dogs? Like they're all, there's the same thing over and over again. And there's a reason why they make it because they're told in different ways. So what's your angle is really the most important thing. What's your hook? What can only you tell that nobody else can tell? And that's what you have to hone into. Yeah. I love that. I think that's a great place to end too, unless you have any final words of advice to aspiring authors and speakers who, who want to get out there. All I would say is just be as much of you as you possibly can, because that's the thing that's going to separate you, your authenticity is your biggest kind of, um, what's that word? It's the thing like, that's going to, that's going to be the thing that really separates you. Mm -hmm. And your book comes out September 21st. Yes. Bravo. Anjali comes back, comes out September 21st. And where can we get more information about you and your book? Uh, you can go to sheeplechef.com, which is my website. And it's got kind of everything there about all the stuff I do, my film projects, my books, my activism, all my social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and feel free to hit me up. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing some of your experience and your work, help inspire our aspiring storytellers out there. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for creating a space where we can have these conversations. It's important. Thank you. I hope you loved today's conversation as much as I did and got some new ideas and inspiration from Sheetal's journey so far. If you want to follow her, I'll have all the links in the show notes. And if you have any ideas for upcoming guests or topics, as always, you can email me, Angela at speakersisterhood.com. Please take 30 seconds to rate and review the show if you haven't already. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. It takes me a lot of time to put this show together, and I appreciate you taking the time to say thanks through that rating and review. So that does it for me this week, you guys. I hope you... uh, Have a great week, and as always, stop waiting, start creating. See you next time.